0: to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I will be your host today. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. In today's episode, what I would like to talk about is how we as technicians tackle new or unfamiliar systems. Something that... <laughs> like I said, we're not familiar with. We haven't worked on this particular vehicle system or component before, and we're really going into it blind. Now, there's a lot of things we can do as technicians to prevent that from happening, but the fact of the matter is, odds are, at some point, you're going to get something in your bay right now that you need to fix and you don't necessarily know how that vehicle, system, or component works. So what do we do when we get to that point? How do we handle it? And that's what I want to talk about today. And I've got a shorter case study to illustrate what I'm talking about, uh, something I went through last week. Um, but just some tips and points I'd like to make on managing these situations uh, efficiently. Because you know we're always fighting the clock in this industry to try to get things done as quickly as possible, but also get to the correct conclusion to fix the vehicle, uh, how do we manage all that on something we've never worked on before? Because like I said, it happens. If you work at a dealership, guess what? You're getting brand new vehicles that no one's ever seen before. And there's not a whole lot to back you up. Yes, you're at the dealership, you have factory service information, but these are potentially problems that nobody has ever seen before could be in your bay. A system that nobody's ever worked on before, it's in your bay what do you do and if you work in the aftermarket i mean you're dealing with all makes and manufacturers there's no way you can know them all there's no way you can have seen everything or researched everything you're going to get something that you're unfamiliar with that you still have to figure out and you have to fix and you know it's one of those things about the automotive industry um, that really does make it challenging at times but at the same time, on the flip side, it's one of the things that I really like about this industry because, heck, it keeps it from being monotonous. It keeps us from doing the exact same thing day after day after day after day. That really bores me. I want a challenge. I want something new. I want to have to learn something. Um, and that might just be my personal preference. But it's honestly part of what has kept me in this field for so long is that you're You're never going to be uh, not challenged. There's always going to be something new that you've got to tackle, that you've got to figure out. So what is the best way to deal with something like this? How do we deal with a brand new system component or vehicle? And I guess it doesn't even have to be brand new, just something we're not familiar with. What do we do to get through this? Well, the first step, and it's fairly obvious kind of goes without saying, but we need to understand how that system component or vehicle works. You know, let's just pick a specific component. I need to know what is that component meant to do and how does it do it? (laughs) And I know that sounds simple enough and for certain things that is simple enough, but for other uh, maybe, you know, wiring systems or computer modules, it may not be that cut and dry. It may not be that simple. Um, we really do have to take the time here to understand this. And the reason I bring this up, again, it seems obvious enough. Of course, we should understand what whatever we're working on is supposed to be doing and how it's doing it. Um, but it's just not always the case that we go into a diagnostic and having that knowledge. I see a lot of people at SHOPs trying to diagnose something when they don't really understand how it works. And at that point, most of the time what happens is they can identify the components in the system, okay? There's a fuel injector, there's a PCM, and there's some wires in between. I can identify the components and so That means that I'm just going to replace components that I think might be failed until it's fixed, okay? And that's not really diagnosing the problem. That's not really understanding how the PCM controls a fuel injector through the wires. There's a difference there of just knowing the components and launching the parts cannon and actually understanding the system so we can do some tests to actually prove what is failed, Okay. So there's the difference in what I'm talking about. And, you know, a fuel injector setup is pretty simple to understand, but we have a lot more complex things going on on vehicles. So step one of this is just to take the time to really understand how the system or component works. And this might take a little bit of time. I'm going to give you some methods on how you can figure that out, but you might be sitting at a computer or on a screen for a little while before you even touch the car. I do this a lot, and it might look like a waste of time up front, maybe to someone else in the shop, like, what are you doing just sitting at the computer, but you are preparing yourself before you dive into the vehicle. You know how this thing works before you actually start trying to figure out what's wrong with it. This is is key. This is always going to be your first step. And one of the other things too is even when we do get familiar with systems and components on vehicles, we don't want to just assume that we always know how something works. And what I mean by this is maybe you've seen one system of, or component on a specific vehicle. Okay, let's just say uh, an EGR valve. Okay, you've seen an EGR valve work on one specific vehicle and then... You're working on another vehicle that's a different year, or different make, but it has an EGR valve too. We can't just assume that EGR valve works exactly the same as the other vehicle. I mean, it could even be the same brand of vehicle. It could even be the same engine, but maybe a few years different, they might have changed something. Maybe they didn't, but it's possible that they changed some stuff or that different manufacturers operate different ways. We don't want to jump in assuming that things work, you know, like something else that we worked on. And that can get you in trouble. It's gotten me in trouble before. Um, Always consider that this could be a little bit different than the last vehicle that I worked on. Something important to consider there as well. So how do we understand how these system or components work? Well, I talk a lot about training and the various methods that we can obtain training. I have a whole episode on training. It's one of the first episodes of the podcast. You know, Check that out. Tons and tons of resources. And we do this ahead of time in preparation to get ourselves ready for new vehicles that we're going to see so that when we do walk into something, you're like, oh, okay, I went to a class on this or I watched a YouTube video on this or read a post about this. I'm already kind of familiar with what's going on here. And we all should be doing that because that is going to decrease the likelihood that we run into something that we are completely unfamiliar with. The more training we get, the better we can walk into these scenarios and understand what's going on. And I think everybody should be doing this if you work in this field and you want to figure out these vehicles. But the fact of the matter is... You can't prepare yourself for everything. Um, It's just not possible. There's too many vehicles out there. There's too much new stuff coming out all the time. You could attend all the training in the world and, well, that's that's probably the key is you can't attend all the training in the world, but you could attend all the training that would be possible for you to attend and you still wouldn't cover everything. There's going to be something that pulls up into your bay at some point that you're unfamiliar with. So what do we do in that instance when... Okay, maybe I have not been to a class on this particular vehicle or application. Well, the next real obvious step here, uh, this is nothing groundbreaking, is to utilize your service information. You've got some sort of service information, whether it's provided by the dealer or if it is an aftermarket service information like Mitchell, AllData, or Identifix. uh, Those are the three most common that I see in shops. In these service information systems, they have description and operation of these vehicles, of the systems, of the components. And the simple answer would be just to take the time and read the system operation, description and operation for whatever you're working on. And sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes you go in and they provide really good information, really detail on how this thing works. So you know what's going on before you jump into it. And if that's the case, great. Yeah, that'll probably be enough for you to figure out what's going on. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, that's just not always the case. Uh, sometimes manufacturers are lacking in the information that they put out. Uh, this is especially true with European vehicles that I found. The Service information is really, really poor as far as how does this thing operate? What is it supposed to be doing? You know, what is the computer strategy for this specific component? It's, it's just not in there. And there's methods that we can use. You know, we can go into uh, DTC information a lot of the time and figure out aspects of the operation of the system based on the troubleshooting steps. We can look at wiring diagrams for a lot of components. And just by the wiring diagram, if you can read an electrical diagram, you can actually figure out how some of these components work. But a lot of the time, even with those methods, you're still kind of left in the dark a little bit. Um, again, this isn't always the case, but Sometimes it is, and we need a way to overcome that because we still got to try and fix the car. We still got to try to figure out what's wrong with what we're working on. So where do we go from there? Okay. We haven't been trained on this vehicle and service information is kind of lacking. What do we do next? Well, we need to have some other resources available to us. And these are the kind of resources that really help you out in a pinch. Um, there are some free resources out there, and free resources, uh, you know, can be um, a double-edged sword in, in the fact that something like uh, YouTube, for instance. YouTube's a great resource. I use it all the time. There's some really great information on YouTube But because it's a free resource, because anyone can put anything on YouTube, you've got to sift through some BS. Um, That's just the way that it is. But if you get onto some good channels like Scanner Danner, Super Mario, uh, Voltage Drop Diagnostics, Cody's Auto Diagnostics, um, some of these really good channels, uh, you know that you're getting good content and good information. So we can use these free resources... If we do a little bit of our own legwork to figure out what is good information, but there is a lot of good information out there on YouTube. In certain automotive Facebook groups, there is a ton of really good information out there as well. Again, there's groups that aren't so great and information that really isn't that helpful, but there are some really, really smart people in these uh, social network groups so definitely something that you want to have as a resource that you can use in a situation like this where you're unfamiliar with the system now i would suggest if you're going to go to a facebook group or you know a group of technicians and ask for help that you've already done your research up to this point okay so you know you're attending training you're doing that sort of stuff you're doing the research beforehand and you've gone through your service information and you're unable to find anything. Um, the one thing that doesn't always necessarily get the best reaction is when somebody's done no legwork of their own and they're just looking for the answer for free. Uh, people tend to not react real great to this, but, um, you know, if you're competent at what you're doing, you can get some really good help from the people online and It's free. So (laughs) that's a great resource. Um, Of course, another really great free resource is uh, this podcast that you're listening to. (laughs) I try to provide as much great content as I can. uh, So this can be a helpful resource as well. Um, There are also some paid information sources that can help you out now we mentioned service information of course that is a paid information source um, that's going to provide you with close to factory service information but again sometimes it comes up short so there are other um, paid information sources that can get you some um, better insight and personal experience you know from the from the technician's point of view on how these systems work and how they break that's one thing service information they have technical service bulletins but there are some other sources that we can use that are going to provide us information on exactly how these things break Uh, you could say pattern failures but the technician's perspective, the guy who's fixing the car, that can be really valuable because you're the guy fixing the car and you're going to be observing the same things that they did. So some of these websites are, and I'm sure you're familiar with these, I've mentioned them before, um, there is diagnostic network or Diag.net this is a paid subscription but a ton of really smart people posting stuff on there Um, lots and lots of good information and resources on there Uh, Of course, the predecessor to that, which is still around, is IATN.net. They still have a massive archive of all kinds of really great vehicle information. Uh, Again, it's free for a certain portion, but if you want to get into the archives, I believe it's a paid subscription. Um, There is also Identifix. Now, Identifix kind of serves as both um, a service information source, it has all your wiring diagrams, it has all your factory service information. And it is also going to have, you know, real-time fixes. Okay, again, the technician's perspective. Um, and the other thing about Identifix, they tend to really sum up the description operation of a component. Uh, you know, Identifix kind of gets a bad rap sometimes as... Uh, you know, a, a crutch for technicians. You go on there. Okay. This is the top hit. I'm going to skip all my diagnostic steps and replace this component. Um, and you don't actually work through and challenge yourself and learn anything. You're just, you're skipping right ahead to the answer, but, and it is used that way in some cases because it makes people money that way. But the thing that I really like about Identifix is some of the information that you get and the organization of this information. Sometimes even in your service information, like data or Mitchell, it can be difficult to even locate the information that you're looking for. You really got to dig, you know, you got to go through DTC flowcharts and you can't find where is the system description operation for this component. Um, Identifix kind of organizes this really, really well into one page where you can go through pinouts and component locations and wiring and diagrams, and then a brief description and then technician input, and it's all there on one page. So that's why I really like Identifix. But of course, again, it is a paid resource. So these are all things that we can refer to when we're in a bind. When we don't know what we're working on, we can check out these information sources to help us. Okay, what if all these fail? They don't have any answer for the vehicle that we're working on. Here's the next thing. And this is a really powerful tool as well. And this is something you've got to work on, that you've got to build yourself, that I'm still working on personally building this, is a personal network. Okay, these are people that you know in the industry that can offer help to you, but also that you can offer something to them it's not just a take relationship it has to be a give and take relationship you have to be able to provide something i i feel like you know if i'm going to be in some sort of a technician network where i can reach out to somebody i want to be able to provide something for them as well uh, i don't want to just Take, take, take. That doesn't, uh, doesn't, I guess that just doesn't feel right to me. But here's the thing. You get to know people in this industry and, and what's powerful today, we can, we can get to know people all over the world and reach out to them. You have them at your fingertips and you get to know all these really smart people in the industry. And then when you are in a bind, when you're in a pinch and none of these other resources have helped you out, you can reach out to these people and say, Hey, Uh, have you seen this before or what am I looking at? What am I doing wrong? And a lot of times, you know, some of these people will specialize in a certain vehicle or brand, um, or maybe they just have seen something that you haven't. um, Even if they haven't, maybe they'll offer a different perspective, okay? And that's the great thing about, you know, different people doing this. Everybody's got a different approach. Everybody's got a different thought process. And odds are they're going to think of something that you didn't. And that can be so such a game changer when you're in the middle of a diagnostic It's just a different perspective and some different experience. Uh, you know, I contacted Hans Jorgensen the other day when I was looking at a, a almost brand new Audi and I really didn't know where I was going or what I was doing with it. But, you know, Hans is really familiar with the Volkswagen Audi platforms and he was able to give me some great information, you know, and and that's again, having that level of Knowledge and experience available to you at your fingertips. Um, that can be, I think, even more powerful than any of these other resources that I've mentioned. But again, it's something you got to work at. It's not, it's not necessarily free. Yeah. Maybe you're not paying somebody, but I think that you should be able to contribute something. Um, if if you're going to be part of this network but getting that set up getting to know people um talking to people being friends with people that are in in this industry is is really really powerful and it can be like i said a game changer when you're in the middle of a diagnostic so definitely something uh for all of us to work on and heck you know i have a facebook group here as well for the automotive diagnostic podcast um that's, that's a community. That is a group where we can help each other. And here's the thing. Part of this is is we can't be afraid to ask questions to other technicians. Again, I mentioned you got to do your legwork. You, you don't want to just be a mooch um, and just take, take, take. You need to actually attempt some things on your own, do some tests, you know, get to a stopping point and, okay, I need some help here, but we can't be afraid to ask questions. And I've been guilty of this myself is we feel like when we ask a question that we're going to look stupid, like, You know, I should have known this. Everybody else knows this. Why don't I know this? I'm going to look less than just because I'm asking this question. But the fact of the matter is, is none of us were born knowing how to do this. None of us just walked on the job and were expert A-level technicians right off the bat. You know, we had to struggle. We had to learn. We had to ask questions. Hopefully you had someone you could ask questions to at some point. And Unfortunately, in this industry, a lot of the times when someone does ask a question, maybe that seems uh, simple or straightforward to someone else, they get berated or they get, you know, uh, made fun of in, in some way. Again, to make them feel like, okay, well, I'm stupid. I didn't know that. And it discourages people from asking questions, from learning, uh, from knowledge being shared. So we can't be afraid to do that. And on the other side of that, We can't be the person that's doing the berating of someone that's making fun of someone for asking a question. Um, again, I stress that don't just be a, don't just be a leech, um, for information. You gotta put some effort into it. You've gotta try, you've gotta attempt to better yourself with some of the methods that I've mentioned. But, you know, ask questions. And on the other side, if you have information that you can share, if you can ask, I'm sorry, if you can answer a question for somebody else, do it. Help them out. Don't make them feel stupid. And the more that everybody operates on both sides of that, um, the more we can share knowledge and the better all of us can be. Um, again, that personal network, huge, powerful, powerful tool. So I encourage everybody to work on that. Reach out to people. Talk to people. Um, it's it's going to be, uh, it will be such a great Uh, addition to your toolbox of uh, diagnostic strategies so With that being said, let's get into this case study. It's nothing groundbreaking, but it illustrates some of the points of what I've been talking about. I was called to a shop to look at a 2000 Mercedes CLK. Okay, This is a convertible Mercedes. And that's actually what I was being called out for, is the convertible top did not operate on this Mercedes CLK. They said that they replaced the pump, the hydraulic pump, um, because it was burnt out and now it just clicks. Uh, the, the top doesn't move. Okay. Um, now I am not familiar with this system at all. Okay. I've worked on a few convertible tops here and there, but I've never worked on a Mercedes convertible top. I've mentioned before, I don't do a whole lot of Euro stuff. Um, it's just where I live. I don't see a ton of European vehicles and I'm just have never worked on a Mercedes convertible top before, so I literally have no idea how it works. I've never been to training on one. I've never researched one. I'm I'm in the dark, and I'm being called out as an expert to go figure this out. <laughs> so I need to do my legwork before I even walk in the door here to look at this thing. So uh, again, I can go in the service information, read the description, operation. It's always kind of shaky on uh, European stuff, and I didn't really find anything that that was that great. Um, What I did do is I went on to Identifix, and they have a bunch of hits. Apparently, these systems are pretty prone to failure. Um, But they have a nice organized description and operation of how this system works, and this was really good for me. And I went through, and I read everything that they have, so I'm starting to get a good idea of how this system works. The next thing I did, I utilized my own personal network, um, I work with an instructor at the college that I teach at, and he just happens to be a Mercedes-Benz technician. He's, he still does work part-time for Mercedes, but he worked there full-time for many years. And that's a, that's a great resource to have if you've got a experienced factory technician, uh, right there that you can question on it. And he gave me a rundown on the system and some of the common failure points in these convertible top f- systems. And he said, they're kind of a pain to figure out. He's like, I wouldn't expect an aftermarket shop to really dive into one of these. I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably why they're calling me on this thing. So I've got, I'm starting to build a good understanding based on what uh, my coworker has told me what I saw in Identifix. The last thing I wanted to do, um, sometimes when we're, you know, listening to a description of something or we're reading about it, um, we can't necessarily visualize it if it's something we've never seen. Okay. I've never, again, I've never worked on one of these systems before. So I went onto YouTube and I just want to physically see the components and the locations of you know, what's on this vehicle. And sometimes YouTube is helpful for this, sometimes they're not. In this case, there was... a Awesome YouTube video made by a channel called Top Hydraulics, and I think that's all they do is convertible hydraulic stuff. And they have a video going through like the entire operation and almost all the switch locations for this particular Mercedes application. So I kind of lucked out there, but it was really great video to watch. It's 15 minutes long, but you can speed up the YouTube videos to. Uh, you know, one and a half times, and now I've got a really great visual idea of what's going on. I've got some firsthand experience from a Mercedes technician, and I've got a a pretty good list of system description operation along with a wiring diagram from Identifix. I'm feeling really comfortable now to walk in and diagnose this system that I have never worked on before. Okay so let me give you a quick rundown of how this system works. It is an electronic pump that is in the trunk that operates a hydraulic system. This is a pretty complex hydraulic system. There are a series of struts and rams that are going to operate the convertible top and there is a panel above the trunk that lifts up so that the convertible top can drop down into the trunk. Uh, There's a series of solenoids on a valve block. There's a control module, and there are 12 different switches in this system. So it's pretty complex. But again, I feel like I have a decent idea of how this thing works and the basic checks that I need to make. So I show up, I get the keys, I go out to the parking lot, and first verify the problem. I don't think that's going to be too hard. Um, you unlock the top manually with a lever, and then there's a switch in the center console that you pull back to get the top to move. Of course, just like they said, it just clicks. I hear well, it sounds like maybe a relay or solenoid click in the trunk, and that's it. Nothing happens. The top doesn't move. I don't hear a pump. Nothing. So um, the next thing I want to do is just a quick visual inspection. I could go for codes here, but I, I really, really like to do my visual inspections. I think that's just something key that a lot of people miss. And I'm, I'm glad I did it here. So I open up the trunk and I want to access the hydraulic pump because one of the things my coworker told me to look for right away was the fluid level. There's hy- hydraulic fluid that moves this convertible top. And so I open up the trunk and I see a series of hydraulic lines that are just laying there, and they're laying right where the pump should be. There's no pump in this thing, and I'm like, uh, okay." <laughs> so I go back in, I ask him, I'm like, "What's what's the deal here?" And uh, I guess the technician that was working on it, he had put in a new pump, but he took it back out for some reason, and he. F- just hadn't put it back in. So he comes out, he has the new pump in hand. It's a new hydraulic pump full of fluid. And he bolts it up quick and hooks up the lines. Only took a few minutes. So now I'm ready to continue on with my diagnosis because of course it's not gonna work if there's no pump attached to it. So uh we go through the same thing. Okay. So make sure you, you gotta close the trunk on these for the system to operate. I go into the vehicle, unlatch the roof, and I pull back on the switch. Again, I hear a click, nothing happens. Okay. So this again is where, and again, I could go for codes here. I didn't. I wanted to do one more check here now that we had the pump in there. This again is where understanding how the system works, just, you know, basic operation is going to help you out because This is actually kind of what they were missing here, or part of what they were missing. Uh, So again, they said the pump was burnt out, so they put a new pump in. When they put the new pump in, it just clicks. The motor doesn't run. All right, so I don't know if the old one was burnt out or not, but I know that this new pump doesn't do anything. Well, on these Mercedes, inside the trunk, there is a panel that slides back and forth. It's a retractable panel that slides on a track that's about... I would say three quarters of the way up inside the trunk. And it extends to, um, I would say maybe a foot before the, like the back of the vehicle. And here's the, here's the reason for this panel. It when retracted fully, it is going to assure that you don't have any big pieces of luggage that would be in the way of the convertible top coming down because it actually uh, contracts down into the trunk space. And if you had a big piece of luggage, the convertible top is going to come down on it. Well, this panel's purpose is to be in a place where you can't put any large luggage in the way. Now, when this retractable panel is in place it closes a switch one of those 12 switches that I was talking about so if this panel is not there or or if it's pushed forward because you can push it forward so you can put bigger stuff in the trunk you just can't open the convertible top but when this uh, panel is pushed forward the switch is released and the top will not operate now, my coworker said there should have been a message on the dash for this. I didn't see it, but maybe I wasn't flipping through the information correctly because uh, there's this is supposed to warn the customer if they're trying to do the convertible top and the retractable panel is not in place. There should be a message on the dash. I, I didn't catch this, but I did see that this panel wasn't there. Okay. I saw the switch. I saw the track. There's no panel. I asked him, I was like, was there a panel here? He's like, oh yeah, we got it laying over here. And I think what they did, they took this panel out so that they could access the hydraulic pump and change it, but they never put it back in. So what I did was I got the panel, I put it in place, I closed the trunk, and then I operated the convertible top and it actually started to move. The pump ran and the top started to move. So what I'm guessing is, is maybe they did have a failed pump. Now, I'm not done with what's actually broken with this thing yet. We'll get there, but they may have actually had a burnt out pump. I don't know. And when they put in the new pump, nothing happened because they didn't put this panel back into place. You know, they put the pump in, they tried it, oh, it doesn't work. Okay, well, let's, let's call Sean and see what, what's going on here because we don't know how to proceed. But if they had put this retractable panel into place, so the switch was closed, everything would have worked. Well, I shouldn't say everything. The top would have moved. So back to where I'm at, I hit the button, the top move. It starts to operate, and in order to operate, it opens a panel on the back of the vehicle so that the uh, fabric portion of the roof can collapse down into it, and there is a latch that kind of holds everything together back there, and that latch is hydraulically operated. Well, as soon as I start moving this top, and I can hear the pump going, and I can see stuff moving, it gets about... Uh, I would say a quarter of the way through its process and you hear the pump whining and you see everything stop moving. And what happened was it ran out of hydraulic fluid. How did it run out of hydraulic fluid? Well, there was a massive leak. Okay. At the back where this panel opens up to let the roof go in, that latch that is hydraulically controlled, it has a little ram or a little piston that's hydraulically controlled for this latch it was puked. The seal for this thing was gone. So as soon as that thing operated, it's just puking hydraulic fluid out of it. And so I told him, I was like, well, there, there is your original problem. Whether the pump was burnt out or not, that was the original problem. Uh, maybe the pump burnt out from you know not having any fluid. Um, maybe it was just empty on fluid from this thing leaking. I don't know. But I was like, you got to replace that thing. And then this convertible top is going to work. And they found one for Mercedes for $150. I saw there were some rebuild kits online, but either way, it's fixable. Put in this ram, fill it back up with fluid, clean up all the fluid that's spilt, make sure the retractable panel is back into place, and then the convertible top's going to work. So, this was actually pretty easy for me. And I didn't even have to hook up a scan tool to this thing because I understood how it worked because I used my resources and I took the time beforehand to really get a good grasp on how this system worked before I even jumped into it. And so the time spent before I got into the job made the job go really fast. And that's where you want to spend your time. You want to spend your time researching, learning, reaching out to people beforehand. So you're not in the moment. You know, we tend to get overwhelmed and stressed out when the, you know, the cars in our bay, people are waiting for us to give us an answer. Um, that can be a stressful situation to try to do all this learning. If you can do it beforehand, before you even touch that car, before you pull out any tools and walk into it with some confidence, it's going to make a world of difference. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed that and learned something today. Um, I really appreciate everybody tuning in and all the great feedback I've been getting on the podcast. Uh, We're going to keep rolling, get some interviews on here, get some case studies, um, and uh, just keep producing some great content. So thanks again. Have a great week, and let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.